Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Scary Story Podcast brings original, short, scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long-lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. Hello, I'm Blair Bathory, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. From my little black heart to yours, happy Valentine's Day, spooky friends. We want to send our love and appreciation to all of our fans for tuning in every week. While many people are wandering around today like lovesick puppies filled with joy, there are those of us that know the truth, that people lie and hearts get broken. There are evil spirits and evil doers who will prey on the emotions of the vulnerable to get what they want. At best, you're left heartbroken, but at worst, you'll be left for dead. First, vengeance for love, followed by death by a thousand bites. Then, dying for a date. Finally, in our featured story, willing to die for love. So, wanna hear something scary? Bleeding Hearts. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, or so the saying goes, but it could turn you into a killer. Find out in this story written by this week's featured writer for Black History Month, Marissa Dow. Destiny was not scared easily. But that was no surprise, having grown up the one child of Drusella Lenore, vampirous movie star from the golden age of Hollywood. Drusilla never intended to be a caretaker until her best friend died in childbirth. But soon, the little girl became Drusilla's family. Destiny loved playtime in Hollywood, except the day when the man broke in. At first, the director assumed he was a confused extra until he noticed the silvery glint of the blade in his hand. Chaos ensued as the intruder terrorized the studio until Destiny slyly tripped him, unintentionally plunging him onto the knife. He lay there still, 
until his head contorted up one last time to yell, You know what we made. Ever since then, Cruz swore Stage 33 was haunted. When Destiny grew up and her mom had passed away, she loved to honor her by celebrating Halloween. So when the crisp black envelope arrived in the mail, inviting her to a Hollywood Halloween party, she was excited. Come back to the dark side where it all began, it read. Destiny showed up with her boyfriend, Phil, dressed as movie stars. The valet at the entrance of the looming estate tipped his cap when they dropped off her car. As they entered, something felt strange. The place felt cold and hollow. Phil insisted Destiny was just nervous and suggested she have one of the welcome drinks laying out in the foyer. She grabbed a goblet hoping for liquid courage, but as they approached the party noise, Destiny's social anxiety crept in. She'd just quickly pop into the ladies. Phil gave her shoulder a squeeze and encouraged her to relax and drink up. He'd meet her inside. Destiny went for a swig of the drink, but the crystal glass slipped out of her hand. To her surprise, it didn't shatter. Must have been expensive plastic, like what they used to use in prop houses she used to play in. She followed the music to the ballroom, took a deep breath, closed her eyes, and yanked the heavy doors open. When she opened her eyes, it looked like her vision had gone blurry. All the people dancing looked like shadows swirling around. Quickly though, she learned they weren't people at all. Bunches of sheer black fabric swung from the ceiling, giving an illusion of body swaying. As she pushed past the shadows with increasing duress, she realized nobody else was there. The laughter and chatter she heard was an audio track. Where the hell was she? And what happened to Phil? She called his name, frantically whipping through the room until she tripped, crying out as she felt a pop in her ankle. Suddenly, the track was silenced. She didn't dare make a sound. Quietly, she scooted towards an exit sign. Reaching for the handle eagerly, she pulled it open to find nothing. A false door. Movie sets are so magical, a voice announced. Destiny stopped in her tracks. But I don't have to tell you that, do I, Destiny? She bravely demanded to know where Phil was, but the voice just laughed, telling her that Phil never loved her. It was just another Hollywood illusion. Destiny scanned the room for a weapon, finally instead spotting a steel cabinet. Was it a circuit breaker? That could get the lights on. She paced that way, deciding to keep whoever this was distracted. She questioned why this person wanted her undivided attention so badly. What was it he wanted her to see? He snapped back that he didn't want Destiny to see anything at all. No, rather, he finally wanted to be seen. Suddenly, a spotlight flicked on and she saw him lying there. But it couldn't be the man from all those years ago, except his skin was slimy and dripping off rotted gray flesh poking through sores, eye sockets sunken in and leaking, like he had just crawled out of the grave. The corpse contorted its head and sneered. You know what we made. 
terrified, Destiny hobbled towards the entrance. That's when she noticed the white letters above the threshold. Stage 33, where it all began. To her dismay, the doors were now locked. She grew tired from yanking them, and the voice taunted her that the poison he planted must be kicking in. He wanted to make her feel just as helpless as the man did that fateful day. Backed into a corner, she locked eyes with the dreadful corpse. It's then that Destiny recognized something about the body. She slumped over and closed her eyes. Soon, she heard a familiar voice apologize to her that the money was too good to pass up. When the footsteps got close enough, Destiny swept her legs under the assailant, quickly grabbing the thick gold key that fell out of his pocket as he slammed to the floor. It was Phil, dressed up as the disgusting dead body. Destiny unlocked the doors, limping away as fast as she could. But her heel caught on flimsy fake hardwood, sending her flying. She struggled to get up with her scraped arms and torn dress. When she rose, she was face to face with the valet. Without his cap on, she could see his face was identical to the man who died on stage 33. Still, Destiny breathlessly demanded to know who he was. Without hesitation, the valet coldly admitted that he was the son of the man who had broken into stage 33, and Drusella Lenore was his mother. Drusella had given him up as a baby before Destiny was even born. The man always felt resentful about his mother, but became enraged when he learned how Drusilla took care of Destiny. And because of Destiny, his father had left too. All his father wanted was for the world to know the truth, but Destiny took that away. The valet screamed in Destiny's face that he had taken everything away from him, and he raised a knife to her neck. Destiny met his gaze, she was sorry he didn't have the chance to know how wonderful Drusilla was. But if he had, he may have remembered a little bit of movie magic himself. Always look over your shoulder. The valet whipped his head around to find nothing, giving Destiny just enough time to loosen his grip over the knife. Yanking it to regain control, the valet accidentally slit his own throat, splattering blood all over Destiny's sparkly gown. His lifeless body collapsed to the floor as Destiny's nightmare, once again, came to an end. Have you ever felt like you were tricked by someone you love? How did it feel? Did you seek vengeance on that person who wronged you? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, 
You can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Just because something is beautiful doesn't mean it isn't deadly. Like in this story, inspired by Charles. And thank you to our patron, Cindy, whose name we use in this story. Cindy loved marine life more than anything. She'd had an affinity for fish since she was a child, and she was more than ready for her college major, marine biology. She was particularly excited because the grounds of her university had a large pond that housed several uncommonly large and beautiful ancient fish. Nobody knew what breed the fish were, and nobody in the department had seen anything like them. They determined that they only populated specific waters and were believed to be highly endangered, possibly even a once thought extinct species. In her department, they called them Quad Antiquity Nauti, Latin for that of ancient sailors. Cindy was amazed that these fish had never been discovered before and spent a lot of time with them. When she wasn't in classes or at the pond, she was hanging out with her roommates and others from her dorm. She was spending a good amount of time with Baden. He lived a few floors below her and she could cut their tension with a knife. Cindy's roommates even teased her about it because their chemistry was so obvious. Cindy was on cloud nine during her freshman year of college. She was even appointed custodian for the Quad Antiquity Nautai by her professor. That's when everything changed. Charged with cleaning the pond water and feeding the fish, not to mention studying them, a lot of her time was taken up by the magical little creatures. She spent so many hours with them, she became totally enamored with the fishies. They seemed to become very fond of Cindy too. It was as if they could communicate with each other. She knew when they were hungry, played music for them when she knew they felt melancholy, and they always cheered her up. When she confided in her friends about her connection with the water creatures, they just laughed and said she was nuts for thinking that fish could understand people. Upset and feeling foolish, she went to Baden to cheer her up. But he made her feel even worse. He said he had been feeling neglected, like she was more into some stupid fish than him. He didn't even know if a relationship with Cindy was even worth it. Totally heartbroken, Cindy decided she didn't need anybody. She had her ancient sailors. Everyone else could go to hell. After giving Baden the cold shoulder for a couple of days, he tried to talk to her when he passed her by the pond one night, but she wanted nothing to do with him. Baden was furious and grabbed her in the heat of the moment. When she pulled away, he accidentally shoved her into the water. And when her head struck the rocks at the bottom, it split open, killing her instantly. In a panic, Baden groped at the waters to try to get her out. He pulled his hands out immediately though, when he noticed the large, creepy fish begging to feed on Cindy's body. He watched as the fish devoured her until no trace was left. After several days of searching, the police gave up trying to locate the body. Time passed, 
and Baden believed he had gotten away with the murder. But then rumors began to spread about the strange, shadowy figure appearing in the waters of the pond. Baden thought it was just a clever ploy to get whoever had done it to confess to their crimes. Ghosts weren't real. He had fed Cindy to the fish. She was very much dead and gone. However, one curious student decided to look around and see if they could get a better look at the ghost. Their bloated body was found the next morning in the water, drowned and chewed as if eaten by an animal. Rather than being afraid, Baden was enraged by this, feeling taunted. He went to the scene after dark with a knife. He stood at the water's edge and scanned the pond carefully. After a few minutes, a huge, solid shape moved towards him from under the water. As it got closer, he saw it looked human. When it got close enough, he yelled and rammed the blade into it, but it was quick. The shape moved with such speed that it was gone before his hand hit the water. Spidery fingers with sharp nails dug into his neck and pulled him underwater. He could now see the figure clearly. It was Cindy, but she had gashes all over her slender bare body. Her hair was long and tangled, her eyes milky white, and her face was filled with cruel delight. Baden fought as the water invaded his every orifice. Cindy smiled at him with razor-sharp fangs as she raised her sharp fingernails into the air and brought her hand down on Baden's chest. He screamed as the water entered his mouth and his blood flowed into the lake. The ancient sailors surrounded Cindy and gazed at Baden with their beady eyes. Cindy raised Baden's head and smashed his skull into shrapnel against the rocks that lined the floor of the pond. The fish converged on Baden's lifeless body, eating it as fast as they could. As the ancient sailors feasted, Cindy smiled. Feeding her friends had never been more fun. She sank to the depths of the pond, leaving only the fish and the remains of a chewed up corpse. Have you ever seen the beauty or magic in something that no one else could see? Did it turn out to be what you imagined? Or have you been the one to see the truth when someone else couldn't? High school can be hard enough without the pressure of finding a date to the dance. Sometimes, however, we find love when we least expect it. But as the old saying goes, if it seems too good to be true, it just might be. Written by Janine Pipe. High school can be hell, especially when the dances are announced during the holidays, like Valentine's Day, when you don't have a significant other to go with. Romance shouldn't be on the forefront of a teen's mind when we've got college to apply to and SATs to study for. But hormones dictate everything, and those without a date to the Valentine's dance end up with a serious case of FOMO. Of course, those who are cool enough or quirky enough can go solo or in groups, but for those of us just in the middle, it's hard out there. So when I met Trey online, I thought all my dreams had come true. To start with, 
we met on an official college website, not some overhyped dating app. To say I was instantly smitten is an understatement. We started chatting just after New Year, and I had already planned that if he seemed to like me too, I'd ask him to the dance. By the end of January, we were chatting all the time, no longer just via DMs on the college website, but also via text. I finally worked up the courage and he said yes, but with one condition, that he wanted to meet me in person first. I jumped at the chance. He said he was home from college the weekend before the dance staying at his aunt's house and I should come meet him there. I was a bit nervous, but he was reassuring, saying his aunt would be there and to tell my parents where I was going. I arrived at a beautiful house and there he was, standing by the front door, as handsome as the profile picture he'd sent me. He apologized right away, saying his aunt was having to work late and that we'd be alone for the evening. And if I wasn't comfortable, then he'd understand. No pressure, he insisted. One look into those dreamy eyes and I knew I wasn't leaving and I couldn't wait to take him to the dance the following weekend. We ended up chatting for hours and I knew despite it being the first time meeting him, that he was the one. I was in love. As he kissed me goodnight, he said he was going to be super busy the following week and not to worry if I didn't hear from him, but that he would see me at the dance. I was disappointed, of course, since I lived for our interactions, but reasoned he was a college sophomore, not a high school senior, and he had papers due. Still, when I didn't hear anything from him on the day of the dance either, I started to panic. I texted and called over and over, but there was never any answer, and the messages pinged back as undelivered. I tried to DM on the college website, but his profile had disappeared. I searched for his name, but there was nothing, no record. It was as if he just disappeared. My first thought was that I'd been catfished. I wasn't entirely sure what the point was. We hadn't done anything other than a few sweet kisses, and I hadn't given him anything like money. Was it just to make me turn up at the dance alone? It seemed a little far-fetched, and my name is Allison, not Carrie. In the end, just before the dance was due to start, I drove over to his house and knocked on the door. An older lady answered, who I presumed must be his aunt. Hello, ma'am. Is Trey home, please? At first, the old lady looked surprised and then sad. She sighed deeply and my heart sank. Oh, I'm so sorry, my dear, she said. This has happened before, but not for a while. You see, Trey was my son. He died when he was in college, 10 years ago. I didn't believe her at first. I mean, would you? Sure, it seemed like an extremely elaborate excuse to stand me up, but what was I supposed to do? Think I'd fallen in love with a ghost? But then she brought out his high school yearbook from 2011 and a newspaper obituary from 2013. There was a photo of the person I'd been talking with, who I'd met at that very house a week earlier. It made no sense. Why? I asked meekly, seeing the words suspected suicide on the newspaper. We'll never know for sure, but it seems he was heartbroken. 
over a girl he'd been dating called Lisa. I drove back to my house in a daze. I didn't know what to think. I hadn't told my parents the whole truth. I'd wanted to surprise them by announcing I had a date and show off Trey when he came to collect me. So my mom hadn't thought much when she noticed a package on the stoop for me. I got mail all the time from colleges. But when I opened it, I felt sick. My hands were ice cold and shook as I took out the beautiful corsage. There was a card in it. It read, To my wonderful Lisa, Never leave me. All my love, Trey. What would you have done if you discovered your love was a ghost? Have you ever interacted with a spirit or any kind of entity? Share your stories with us by emailing somethingscary at snarled.com. In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of the Japanese spirit of seduction written by Sarah and animated over on our YouTube channel at youtube.com snarled. Sometimes the idea of being loved is so powerful, we're willing to die for that feeling. Okiwara hadn't lived in Tokyo long, despite the fact that he lived in a very hectic city where sometimes it felt like he would be swallowed whole, he was grateful to have his neighbor, Ina. When Ogiwara first moved in, he was attacked with kisses by Ina's dog, Bento. In the face of this incident, Ina profusely apologized and said Bento had great intuition, taking a liking to Ogiwara, and said she knew he was trustworthy. As a result, their friendship was sealed. They would grab each other's mail, bring each other coffee, and even have late night drinks after work. When it was dark out, he would go with Ina to take Bento out for walks just so she wouldn't be alone. Ina couldn't help it. She was falling for Ogiwara. One dark, cold night while they were walking Bento, he began acting squirrely. He was pulling on the leash, barking at nothing, and couldn't be calmed. Even heading back towards the apartment, Bento was growling. As an unexpected flashlight blinded them, Ogiwara instinctively placed himself in front of Ina. Who's there? He called out over Bento's barking. In response, the person lowered their flashlight. A stunning woman stood before them, illuminated by the moon, who was unlike anything either of them had ever seen before. Her hair was long and voluminous, and her eyes were piercing. She said she was lost and needed help finding her Airbnb, And in addition, she mentioned her reason to coming into town was to perform some singing gigs. Bento was losing it. He was down in attack position, growling under his breath. Even the alley cat that slinked by sneered at the woman. Ina apologized and said she had to take Bento inside. Okiwara told her to go on without him. He was going to stay and help the woman find her Airbnb. It's Dora, said the woman holding out her hand to introduce herself. Over the next few weeks, Ina saw less of Ogiwara. She was heartbroken as she watched Ogiwara drift away, devoted to his new girlfriend, Dora, who had become so obsessed with. Ina was collecting her mail late one night 
when she noticed Ogiwara's mailbox was stuffed full. She had carried his mail with trembling hands, all too aware of who might be lurking at his place. Before she rang the bell, she peeked in to see if she was there. If she was, Ina would just leave it for him. The last person she wanted to see was Dora. And her heart sank when she saw Dora's heels by the door. She cautiously observed the scene before her. Ogiwara rested peacefully, but a spine-chilling sight caught her eye. An ominous bone cradling him from behind. As she narrowed in for further inspection, it became clear that this was no ordinary skeleton. Its gaping sockets served as silent reminders of who used to inhabit them. Dora's once piercing eyes now replaced them with dead silence. Horrified, she ran back to her apartment. She was too scared to sleep. She had seen Dora walk past and thought she would finally catch a break from the danger outside. But then came an unexpected loud bang on the door. Bento jumped into high alert, barking at the monster on the other side. You won't take him from me, Dora sneered. He is mine, she declared before leaving. Once Bento calmed down, Ina went straight for Ogiwara's apartment. Despite her tears, she was happy to see that he was alive and doing well. He had no clue what she was talking about. Ina explained what she saw the night before. She claimed Dora was a Botandoro, a Japanese spirit of subduction. She will kill you and take you to her grave with her songs, she told him. But Ogiwara scoffed at the idea. He said Ina was just jealous. He felt bad for not spending as much time with her, but this accusation was just pathetic. He then closed the door in Ina's face. Insulted and hurt, Ina tried not to think about Ogiwara and avoided him at all costs. As a result of this, she began wearing earbuds so she wouldn't hear Dora's stupid singing. Maybe she was just imagining these things, she thought to herself. Love can make you do and see crazy things. She went on like that until one night, a chill ran down her spine as Bento's howls pierced through their small apartment. She took out her earbuds and what she saw outside made her heart stop for a moment. The police swarmed around Ogiwara's place. Did it finally happen? Had she been right about Dora? It turns out that Ogiwara's lifeless body had been discovered in a mysterious cemetery, embraced by the bony clutches of an aged corpse, that of Dora, who had been dead for over 80 years. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com/snarled. 
And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. Ha, ha, ha.